Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 171 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Art Alexakis from Everclear, I want to remind you about these 70s retro three-quarter sleeve jerseys that are now available in the online shop at mistresscarry.com. Now that fall is around the corner, you gotta put some sleeves on and they might as well be black or purple. They feature the Mistress Carry two-colored logo with the flames on the front and the new jerseys are just one of the many things that you can find in the online shop. Just go to mistresscarry.com and check out the shop or click the link in the show notes of this episode. Everclear are out on the road in support of their new album, recorded during the band's first ever appearance at the Whiskey A Go-Go. The new album, Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go, is available everywhere, and Everclear are bringing the tour to Big Night Live in Boston, coming up on the 17th. You can get tickets if you click the link in the show notes of the episode. I talked to Art from his studio in Pasadena, California, and we talked about all the gigs he's played in Boston over the years, his own personal studio, the band's 30th anniversary. We talked about his childhood and learning to play the guitar and the music that shaped him as a musician. We also talked about the differences between recording on tape and digital and why the music of the early 90s is still so huge. Art had a front row seat for an unbelievable time in music, and he is never one to mince words. So I was so excited when I finally was able to get him on the podcast. So allow me to introduce you to Art Alexakis from Everclear. Hello, Art. Thanks for hanging out with me today. My pleasure. How are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. The first thing I always ask, uh, where are you? Because half the time touring musicians don't even know. Um, I'm pretty good about that. I, I didn't used to be. Um, I'm I'm actually in my studio in Pasadena, California. Um, I have a little office and a little studio back there. And my wife has a, a studio where she does Reiki healing and yoga and all sorts of stuff like that next door, sound baths. Um so, yeah, I'm about a mile and a half from home. So we're still getting ready for tour. Um, we're going out playing shows this weekend and next weekend, and then we get on the bus um, uh, on the 5th. So, yeah, we're we're still at home, though. And head east, September 17th, you'll be in Boston at Big Night Live. Yeah, I've never played that venue. I'm very excited. Yeah. I've played just about everywhere else in Boston. 
but not there. We've got, over the last few years, some really cool new venues have opened up. And after losing some of the more seedy, iconic venues like the Rat and the Channel over the years, to get some new venues in Boston has been pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I played I played the Rat for sure uh, back in the day, you know, before it closed down. Um, the Paradise, of course. Um, House of Blues. Avalon when it was still around. The Axis when it was still around. Mama Ken. Um, Boston Garden. Um, yeah, we played a bunch of bunch of shows. The Middle East, of course. Obviously. Um, I mean, you can't obviously. you can't be a growing rock band and not come through the Middle East at least once in your career. Everybody's at played least, there. At least once. It's it's a prerequisite for yeah. sure. Uh, I love seeing um the studio spaces of the artists when I get to talk to them this way because everybody's are kind of decorated a little different and obviously as you get ready to celebrate your 30th anniversary you got some platinum stuff up on the walls yeah well you know what's funny is i had these records forever and ever and ever and i got you know a bunch more all over the place and awards and stuff but i never put them on the wall in my houses i never felt like doing that even the studios i had before didn't seem like the right place for them so they were just in storage for literally over 20 years some 25 years but when i opened this studio um back in uh 2015 i think it was um i'm like okay i have an office where i do a lot of stuff you know computer uh keyboards all my recording equipment i'm gonna put my i'm gonna put my metal up on the road up on the wall it seems like musicians anybody that has any level of fame and kind of the entertainment industry doesn't want to bring that home and put it on the walls because your home is supposed to be the place you escape. So it doesn't surprise me that you don't want to bring work home with you and put it on the walls. Home is supposed to be where you hang the dog pictures. Or the baby pictures. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, yeah, it just never seemed like the right thing. Um, Regardless what, and I've been married four times, regardless what amazing person I was with at the time, um, I never wanted to do that. A couple of them did. We're like, yeah, let's put up those those platinum markers. I'm like, nah, I don't want to. Um, but this is the right place. This is where the work gets done. Um, this commemorates it. If you go in my guitar room, where I got all my guitars hanging, I've got old posters from, you know, all through the career back up there, which is really cool. When did you start playing guitar? When did this musical journey for you start? Well, I took lessons for the very first time when I was living in the projects. I was eight. They gave free lessons at the community center. And I went over there and took some lessons and it came pretty easy to me, but they stopped doing those lessons because, um, it was just, it was really violent at the time in that in that neighborhood. So the kids stopped going there for a little while and then they opened it back up a little while later, but they didn't offer the guitar lessons. But I, for sure, I started playing guitar lessons, taking guitar lessons when I was 14. Uh, I got a guitar for Christmas from my mom, a used guitar, 
a Vox Phantom that she bought for 40 bucks from a pawn shop and a little crappy amp for 25 bucks and a distortion pedal for 10 bucks. And that was my Christmas present. And that was a big deal. And she gave me eight lessons. And she said if I could play her a song at the end of them, she'd buy me eight more lessons. And uh, I played her uh, a little bit of uh, something Led Zeppelin. Probably Stair Stairway to Heaven. Probably Stairway to Heaven. So, yeah. And she bought me eight more lessons, and that's it. That's all I've ever had. So can you read music, or do you no. play by ear? Just play by ear. No, never wanted to. Never wanted to learn that because I knew guys who, and gals who, who like studied music and read music and did all that. And I've done a little bit of reading music because back when I was a kid in the, in the 70s and uh, in the 60s and 70s, every time you go to school, you, you know, if you were in fourth grade or over, you had to take an instrument. So they taught you how to read, you know. But uh, I, uh, I, I wasn't interested in learning how to read to play rock and roll. I just, um, it didn't interest me. Please tell me one of the guitars in your guitar room is that original guitar your mom gave you. Do you still have it? Nope. Do you know what happened to it? Yeah. Well, it got thrown away. My mom, so I, that guitar, oh my God, that was a Vox Phantom. A 1961 box phantom. That thing, a 64 box phantom, it would be worth $20,000 now. And she bought it for 40. Oh it'd be worth God. 20 grand. E easy. Because it was, it was in great shape. And she knew I wasn't playing. It was hanging up in our garage at one of her apartments. And she threw a bunch of stuff away when she moved and she threw it away. Oh, my heart breaks for you. Put it, put it in a dumpster. Oh, huh. hopefully somebody went dumpster diving and that guitar is still alive somewhere. I hope so, but I don't think so. Oh, she put a bunch of furniture over it. it they might have, they might have got it from the the uh, the dump, you know, because there's a lot of people who go combing the dumps, but uh, I don't think so. Oh. I think it's buried, it's buried somewhere. What I have a theory about music that there's two parts of your musical upbringing. There's the music you get gifted, the soundtrack to your childhood. And then there's a moment, usually in adolescence, that you hear something that you say, okay, now that is mine. I like that. I've decided. And then everything changes after that. So what was the soundtrack to your childhood? And then what was it that changed everything for you? That's not an easy question because they kind of, they kind of, uh, uh, they kind of mingle. Uh, but uh, I grew up the baby of five kids. My dad, who, who was 100% full-blooded Greek from Greece, barely, he spoke English, but hard to understand him. Um, he was really into the crooners, like especially Sinatra, Perry Como. My mom was into country music because she grew up in the Deep South. So she's Carter family, Hank Williams, uh, you know, people like that. Buck, Buck Owens, love the Bakersfield sound. Um, my eldest sister was more into uh, uh, Motown, stuff like that. Motown, Tamla Motown. She was, actually went to the Tammy show back in 1965 at the Santa Monica Civic. 
And uh, then she, uh, my my brother, who was three years younger than her, um, was into like heavy, heavy stuff, you know, kinks. Everybody, first of all, everybody was into the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, just a given. Um, but my brother was into Zeppelin, The Who, Black Sabbath, you know, stuff like that. Um, my next sister was more into stuff like Crosby, Sells, Nash & Young, Creedence Clearwater, uh, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, Bob Denver, that type of stuff. And then my youngest sister, who was five years older than me, was into bubblegum pop, you know, which was like Tommy James and the Chantels and stuff like that. You and got it all. I got it all. I, I loved it all. I had AM radio, which played nothing but great songs. Hit songs back then were not great because, you know, one company had more money than the other. They just played great, great songs. Didn't matter if it was uh, rhythm and blues and soul and funk or hard rock or pop, whatever. They played it all. And I decided back then... I heard some people, as you get older and you start making those decisions like you're talking about, kids will go, well, that music sucks. And I'm like, I don't think any music sucks. There's music I like and music I don't like. And there's no bad music. And there's people who still, in their 40s and 50s, think disagree with that. You know, that's cool. We can disagree. But I think everything, if people like it, it's valid whether I think it's good or not, you know. But uh, I think it's funny because, I mean, I started starting when the time I was like 11 or 12, I started asking for albums for Christmas and birthday, right? Because we were poor. That was the only time I could get them. And I would ask for a hard rock record like Led Zeppelin Four, and then a funk record like Earth, Wind & Fire or uh, Ohio Players and Black Sabbath and you know I did that for years but I have to say the first thing I really found on my own that really connected and I've talked to other people and even my my daughters kind of on their own found like oldies rock and roll like 50s rock and roll Little Richard Chuck Berry um, Fast Domino Eddie Cochran all that stuff that used to get played on an oldie station here called um, K-Earth 101 in L.A. Now they play 80s and 90s music, so we get played on the oldies <laughs> radio, which is some people take it. Like, I know guys in famous bands who are like, we're not a 90s band, man. We're not We're not that. We're, we're still current. And I'm like, no, you're not. You might think you are, and you might still make music, which is great. doesn't mean... You're not relevant. Your music now is not relevant. But your success, the time you made your name, people know you from the 90s. So just acquiesce to it. It's pretty awesome that your daughters have now gone back to discover literally where it all started. The pillars of rock and roll that every band, regardless of genre, has lifted from since. Little Richard, Chuck Berry, all those guys. The good bands have. Fans now, music now, I don't think they're going back. I don't think they're listening to the stuff or they're not admitting it. 
because it just sounds like they're all sounding like each other. And it's getting, it's like the gene pool, which is really deep of recorded music on your phone. You can listen to music from the 1920s, the 1800s that were recorded Kalahari Bushmen. You know, you can hear anything on there, but they're just interested on what got a hit here and what got a hit here. And so it just, the depth of the music and the lyrics just shrinks. There always seems to be kind of a new wave of like rebellion in rock and roll. And what I'm seeing with some of these newer bands is that there's so much technology that they're rebelling against it and taking after a guy like Dave Grohl, who built a studio of all analog gear and they're discovering the art of recording on tape again and not using Pro Tools. And as somebody Wait a that- minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. One thing, Dave Grohl's a millionaire. <laughs> he can afford to do that. Yeah. I can't even afford to do that. So that whole thing of like people thinking that stuff's hit. Look, I love the sound of, of smashing tape. All our classic records are are recorded on 24 track, you know, two inch tape and kudos today for doing that. But at the same time, every average guy, guy and gal who was trying to record the technology today has nothing to do with whether there's soul to the music or not. And, and I defy you. I defy you, Mistress Carrie. <laughs> I'll put you something on tape and something I recorded on digital and I will bet you $100,000 you can't tell the difference. Really? Yeah, you will lose. You'll lose. Art, I would love that $100,000. <laughs> You're not going to get it, babe. You're not going to get it. And this is coming from somebody that came up in the era of, of radio where I learned how to edit on that tape. Like. Yeah. It's unreal when you talk to people now and you're like, grease pencil, razor blade. Oh, I was there. No, I, I, as was I. Yeah. And, you know, I was in film school in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I was cutting 16 track, 16, 16 millimeter, um, you know, tape and, and film and cutting my fingers. I was cutting, the, you know, I was cutting quarter inch eight track tape and splicing it together. No, I've done all that. And that's great. And working with tape is great. But what I'm saying now is that for the most part, not a hundred percent, 98%, you cannot tell the difference between digital. If you do it right with the right equipment, with some an analog equipment, but recording to digital in of itself, that has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. But I do record. I mean, I've got I've got stuff here. I've got analog stuff oh, there. Oh, look Just at your gear. Nice. I, I've got two more of these back there. I've got Neves and stuff like that. So recording to that is great. Necessarily to tape. Tape is incredibly expensive. Yeah. Because it doesn't exist. No one's making it anymore. So when you when you try to say like you know, like, well, that's that's what I mean. Cool. Trying to bring those, trying to bring the old school sounds back. Number one and two, trying to resist the urge because digital makes things so easy to fix 
of not fixing the art out of rock and roll and leaving in the mistakes, which seems to be, from what I hear from musicians, tell me I'm wrong, is where the magic is. Well, you know, I think that that's actually a little bit precocious to say that because I think there's all sorts of different types of magic and I've produced many different records. But yes, there is magic in it. And yes, there is a dichotomy of everything sounding tuned and kids today listening to that and then listening to Led Zeppelin or bands from the 70s or even before that, when there was no tuning, when you can hear them be off. I was listening to Hotel California, a couple of songs from Hotel California this morning. I heard like eight or nine, 10, totally off. I've got really good pitch, off notes. Does it bother me? No, that's rock and roll. And on, but for kids and younger people who grew up with Spotify and only listened to Spotify and stuff on Spotify and listen to digital music made today, it's all tuned. Everything's tuned. The drums are tuned. It's crazy. We don't do that. We don't do that. We, if something's really bad, see, this is the thing about the magic. If you do a take and it's got great attitude and it's really wonderful and it's just got all the magic to it that you can't recreate again, you go, oh, great, give me another take just like that. Can't match it, right? That's the take. But there's a couple of off notes. Just tweak those notes up a little bit. That's fine. It's the thing that really takes the guts and the balls out of it is when you tune everything. You mel- you, you you melanine everything, you know? And then that just brings zero up to another place. It's like compressing stuff. People want to make stuff louder. It doesn't make it louder. It just makes it, it takes it up, zeros up here instead of down here where it's supposed to be. So that's that's kind of where it goes. I th- I think you can take the magic out of it if you use too much technology, but I think the technology has made it possible for people of, of, you know, of non-liberal, like very modest means, let's say modest means, uh, to be able to take what's in here and put it down and, and record it. Because the creativity and the magic, that doesn't come from technology. It doesn't come from analog tape or any of that crap. Um, or even from my fancy Neve compressors <laughs> and, and, and processors. It comes from here. This is where it comes from, here, here, and down there a little bit. You uh, you alluded to a lot of the 90s bands, and with, with Everclear celebrating its 30th anniversary, I had a conversation with Billy Corgan recently about why that era of the 90s generated so much iconic music. What was it about that time for you that, because I don't even think we realized it living through it, how iconic of an era of rock and roll it was going to be remembered to be. So what do you think kind of teed up that part of the 90s to give us so many memorable bands, Everclear included? That's an easy, easy answer for for Billy Corgan and everybody, and uh, male or female. We all grew up in the 70s. 
we all grew up with with classic what's called you know we call classic rock radio when it was new zeppelin aerosmith even pop music funk all that stuff it was it was just visceral and relevant and just in your face and recorded well and it just sounded wonderful and that's when we think of places like i see that bridge it makes me think of a song you know you ever do that like oh i'm driving down this boulevard it makes me think of this music that you probably listened to driving down that when you were a kid when when you were a sponge right before you had all this other information and noise and distortion from life when you were pure that's when that was coming in that's why that sticks with you at the same time we lived through uh punk rock and new wave and and all that music and and alternative music for me the replacements Husker Du, soul asylum um uh, uh rem all those bands in the 80s and then jane's addiction and you know other bell other bands pixies bands that just you know changed the roadmap brought a sea change to what alternative or modern rock music was until we get to, of course, Nirvana, which just opened the door for just about every band. My band, definitely the Foo Fighters. Greg, I'm sure Dave would be the first to tell you, right? And Smashing Pumpkins and a Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam's album had been out for a year. No one was paying attention to it. And then they, and then Nirvana came out and they recorded those videos and they became alternative too, because that wasn't even a term. You know, grunge was a term, but no one in the Northwest, I lived in Portland, no one called themselves grunge. That was what, that's what marketing people used. You know, that, that was something that came up from the sub pop people um, to call stuff. That wasn't a real thing. You couldn't define grunge because grunge didn't really exist. Um, but that being said, when you're talking about the technology, um, our new album, not to make a, a shameless segue, no, but I'm no make the shameless segue. Our new album that's coming out September eighth, tour starts September sixth. The album comes out September eighth, and it's live at the Whiskey A Go Go. And there's plenty of notes on there that are not tuned. I we didn't. We didn't melodyne it. We, we didn't like make it all crazy with Pro Tools and stuff and technology. There's We cleaned up a few things here and there because we were having problems with recording technology. One guy's ears wasn't working. His bass, his bass packs weren't working. The drummer's uh, in-ears weren't working. So we had to adjust to that. So there's noise on there, but um, it's pretty live. And there's a lot of notes in there that um, I think some people might find off singing and even guitars. I left it, man. It's ragged. It's rock and roll. It's the it's whiskey. Talk about an iconic rock venue. Absolutely. That's where I grew up. You know, we had never played there before. I had been there hundreds, literally hundreds of times growing up in LA, playing in bands in Hollywood. Um, I had sold drugs there, did drugs there, had sex and backstage, you know, all this stuff backstage with other people's bands, got into fist fights there, witnessed a gunfight outside, um, but I had never played there until December 1st last year, 
And that's the show we recorded for this album. As you get ready to go out on the road, do you have to relearn your own songs? I mean, Everclear has got songs you guys must have played tens of thousands of times by now. Do you have to go into rehearsals and remember how to play your own stuff? No, we would if we didn't play so much. Yeah. But we're playing like 60 shows a year every weekend. We're doing like, um, we're playing somewhere every weekend. We're playing constantly. We played three shows last weekend. Got a show leaving tomorrow, show this Saturday. Got a show next weekend. And we get on the bus and we play on Wednesday. So, no, there's no time to rehearse. And, it, you know, like... We're, we're doing a new song that we is on two, two of the songs on the record are studio tracks. One we put out last year called Year of the Tiger and a song called um, Sing Away. And for Sing Away, we filmed the video last week and I just got the rough cut of it. I'm making notes on it and stuff. That should be out in a week or two. Um, but we had to practice that song because we recorded it, you know, eight months ago. And, um, we haven't been playing it, so we're going to play it starting on the tour, starting on the 5th, 6th, Lexington, it's, Kentucky. It's got to make you feel good to look out in the crowd and now see generations of Everclear fans singing your songs back to you. It's a trip. It's a trip, <laughs> it's a trip playing, seeing people who weren't even born when these songs came out. You know, that's a trip. Yeah. Knowing all the words, and I talked to them, and some of them, or turned on by family or family friends or whatever. That soundtrack but, to your childhood that we were talking about. You are now absolutely. part of their soundtrack. Yeah, because they were they were they were strapped into the back seat while mom was listening to Sparkle and Fade, right? <laughs> but, and that's fine. I'll take that all day long. Yeah. A lot of these kids are finding nineties rock because they consider that to be the last vestige of old school rock and roll alternative rock, grunge, whatever you want to call it. And when they start looking through the bands, they find the bands that have their flavor to it. And a lot of them, you know, glom on to Everclear. It's really cool. I saw this meme the other day that said, if Back to the Future was made today, Marty McFly would go back to 1993. And in that moment, my head almost exploded. <laughs> you know, I don't know that that's wrong. That sounds about right. No, it is right. It's 30 years. That's that's they went from 1985 to 1955 in the original movie. Oh. So they would go back 30 well, so years. Well, going back would be 1993. Yeah. Why doesn't somebody do that movie? I don't know cuz it would be amazing. Yeah. So instead of like playing Johnny Be Good, um, you know, they'd be playing like Teen Spirit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it would be a total that'd be trip. That'd be awesome. It would be awesome. All right. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. You're going to be in Boston at Big Night Live coming up September 17th. And the new live album at the Whiskey A Go Go is coming out before you get here. So everybody can go and listen to the live album and then go and experience you live when you get here. Awesome. Thank you, Karen. It was so nice to see you. Thank you so much. Take care. There he is, the one and only Art Alexakis from Everclear. The band's new live album, Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go, is available everywhere. And their tour will be in Boston at Big Night Live 
on September 17th. Check the show notes of this episode for a link to get tickets, and the album is featured on the corresponding playlist for this episode. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast that features all of my guest music and all the other artists and songs that we referenced in the episode. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep. All of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment updates boil down to around five minutes. And besides, you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. You can join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And you can always find me on the radio. Get the details on all that and more at mistresscarry.com. And don't forget to check out the shop and those new retro 70s jerseys. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.